Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up A Well-Read Life. A quick reminder before we begin. This will be the last episode of the year. I'll be back with new episodes on January 7th. And now, let's get started. When Mrs. Armstrong breaks her leg and isn't able to direct the annual Christmas pageant, and young Charlie tells Leroy Herdman that he gets all the dessert he wants at church, no one suspects that this chain of events will lead to the Herdmans, the worst kids in town, hijacking the church's Christmas play or that it will be the best Christmas pageant the church has seen. Barbara Robinson's classic story, The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, is a book that is full of humor and heart, and it is one that begs to be read year after year. Did you ever participate in a Christmas pageant as a child? I was all of three or four years old when I played an angel in a church pageant, complete with a white robe made out of a sheet and a gold tinsel halo, that I may have used for dress-up until it fell apart. My sister played Baby Jesus, a fact I was extremely proud of and which I felt compelled to share with a myriad of strangers for quite some time. Looking back from the very little memory that remains of that play, it was pretty uneventful, besides the fact that I was supplied with new dress-up clothes and could brag that my sister had once played Baby Jesus in our Christmas pageant. I was easily impressed as a child. In fact, it was quite tame compared to the one in the best Christmas pageant ever. I've read this story or had it read to me many times over the years. Excerpts read by teachers or my mom reading the book aloud to me and my siblings. We would huddle close to hear mom read the anticipation of Christmas in the air and listen as she alternately laughed hysterically at the thought of a Herod Herdman and cried at the poignancy of the story. It's a book that I still reach for as the Christmas season approaches. I admire it as much for its humor as its message. And I have to tip my hat to Barbara Robinson because, even though it is such a short book, each time that I read it, I discover something new. It is like a dear, hilarious friend that never gets old. And now, here's the story. This year, I've read the best Christmas pageant ever for maybe the fifth or sixth time. Truthfully, I've lost count how many times I've read it, but I know it's been at least that many, probably more. I've never made it a practice to read it annually before, but for the past few years, I've tried to incorporate it into my Christmas traditions. The genius of Barbara Robinson never seems to stagnate. This short book, it's just at 80 pages, manages to surprise me each time I read it. I always notice a few things differently on each reading of the book. This year hasn't been an exception. And what I'm noticing on this reading is the way that Barbara Robinson manages to weave in a Christian's disenchantment with Christmas, possibly with their faith, into a children's book. It's unexpected and unusual. She handles it with deafness. It never becomes heavy-handed, and because of the sharp humor she uses, it's seamless to the story. She also touches on what it means to make people welcome in the church. Not just any people, though. Hard people. Now, this doesn't encompass all there is to the story. 
but these are some of the thoughts that stood out to me on this year's reading, and ones I am still considering since finishing the book. Disillusioned and apathetic, these are the words I would use to describe the way many of the characters feel about the annual Christmas pageant. From the adults to the children, they are disenchanted with this story. They have lost the ability to delight in the wonder of it. As the unnamed narrator so bluntly puts it while describing the play, it's always just the Christmas story, year after year, with people shuffling around in bathrobes and bedsheets and sharp wings. Just the Christmas story are the words that hit me as I read it. The story of Christmas, with its account of the birth of God's Son, a young mother and father who can find no place for a child to be born except a stable, an angel chorus proclaiming Christ's birth to shepherds, wise men bringing gifts from faraway lands, a story so full of mystery and miracle that it's extraordinary, has been reduced in a child's mind, an elementary child no less, to just the Christmas story. Sadly, it isn't unique to this child. It seems that for a majority of the people at the church, the story has become ordinary, too familiar, something to be endured and not enjoyed. The fact that this sentiment has even seeped into the children, as shown through the narrator, is telling. But then the herdmen show up and take over, confronting the adults and children alike with the beauty of the Christmas story. This is so reminiscent of the Gospels, where the unlikely and imperfect are used to proclaim the truth about Jesus. It starts out innocently enough, the events that lead to the herdmen's invading the Christmas play. Charlie, the younger brother of the narrator, tells Leroy, one of the herdmen boys, who has been bullying him, that he gets all the dessert he wants at church. This is after Charlie shares with the whole congregation that what he loves most about church is that there are no herdmen's there. To Charlie, church is a place of safety from the constant harassment by Leroy Herdman. And there's something to be said for this. Church should be a safe place, a place of respite and shelter. But into this safe place come the Herdmans, a ragtag family of hellions, six children who cause chaos and terror wherever they go. Ralph, Imogene, Claude, Leroy, Ollie, and Gladys, everyone in town thinks they are born criminals. But these kids come to the church, first for desserts, and then to take part in the play. It's interesting reading it again this year. It's the first time I've noticed how the Herdmans are received by the people in the church, and especially when it's announced that they will be in the play. It causes probably the closest thing to a scandal that the church has seen. Gossip runs rampant about these children, and with their reputation, it's not exactly undeserved. The minister's wife even suggests to the narrator's mother, the director of the pageant, that she find something else for them to do besides act in the play, like the invented job of handing out programs. There seems to be no place at the church for the herdmans. They aren't welcomed in, except by the narrator's mother, and it's still done under duress. Now, I don't want to paint a picture of injustice towards the herdmans. I can't fault the congregation for wanting to keep the church safe for the children, if you've read the book, you know that these kids are bad kids. I believe we can call a spade a spade here. They're bullies. They harass other children. They hit them. They taunt children about their weight. They steal, and so many countless other things that, while they may not be wrong, are socially unacceptable. They are hard kids from a hard place, and to welcome them in requires the church to walk with them through the hardness. It's a monumental task in some ways, 
But what's interesting is the way that Barbara Robinson presents it. Without glossing over the children's outrageous behavior, she did cause me to wonder if the church doesn't welcome the children in because it isn't safe or because they are hard and because welcoming them in would be too difficult and require too much from the congregation. After this reading, I think it may be both. But in a way, the church needs them. Without the Herdmans, the play will be the same as it has always been, and the congregation will see it the same way they always have. In spite of the congregation's efforts to keep the children out, they come. First, for what they can get, then because they want to be in the Christmas pageant, and finally because they are drawn to something in the story. They ask questions, practical questions that no one seems to think about or are too afraid to ask. What are swaddling clothes, for instance? The narrator doesn't know herself until they ask, and along with the questions come authentic responses. To them, swaddling clothes and being placed in a manger are the equivalent of being tied down in a feed box. The Herbans are outraged, and with good reason. This was the early reception of the Son of God. This is the first time that the Herdmans have heard the story of the birth of Jesus. Everything about the story is new and fresh to them. But to the narrator and the other congregants, the story is stale. It's lost its luster. They are so familiar with the story that they take it for granted that everyone should know it. And it comes as a bit of a shock that the Herdmans don't. It's only the goody two-shoes Alice Wendelkin who claims she isn't surprised. To help remedy the situation of the stars of the play not being familiar with the story, the narrator's mother tells it to them, which the narrator describes as being a pain in the neck to most of us because we knew the whole thing backward and forward. And here, a little bit of Barbara Robinson's genius shines through. She uses humor beautifully to illuminate what it is like to hear the story for the first time. It's an improbable story. It's miraculous and it should cause us to wonder at the mysteries of God and how this awesomeness coexists with the ordinary in life. Mary and Joseph are an ordinary couple. The shepherds are ordinary shepherds, but their lives are invaded by the presence of God, and they are transformed. Who wouldn't be? Strangely, though, the herdmans and not the narrator or any of her friends see this. This could almost be played as a tragedy, or at least a crisis of faith for the members of the church, the fact that they can't see the beauty and wonder of God around them. But Barbara Robinson chooses humor to unearth truth. It makes it palatable to hear, while still hitting hard. It's brilliantly done. By the night of the Christmas play, a change has come over the Herdmans. They are still the same children, but the story of Jesus' birth has managed to touch their lives— to soften them in a way, and it seems for the first time that the church gets a more realistic view of what it must have been like for the Holy Family on the night of Christ's birth. It isn't a sanitized or perfect depiction, like what has been portrayed so often in art and other media. They are a little afraid, ever practical, and anything but neat and tidy. It's easy for us to forget that this is probably a more authentic portrayal of Mary and Joseph because it isn't as pretty as we would like. The imperfectness of flesh and blood in all its glory are shown. And yet, the miracle is that God chooses to enter in and abide in it. The herdmans who have never been to church before see this. But it's imaging that gives the most beautiful picture of it. With her eye all puffy and swollen after walking into a cabinet because she had been lost in the thought 
over the idea of God and the wonder of Christmas, she gives a beautifully poignant portrayal of Mary. But the Hardmans aren't the only ones who are changed. The performance manages to change the congregation, who have heard this story their entire lives. We see them soften too, recognizing the wonder and holiness of the story. The Herdmans give the church the best Christmas pageant they have ever seen. Can you imagine what it would have been like without the Herdmans? The play would have been something to be endured. The Christmas story would have been respected, but it would have been hollow, never reaching to the heart. Because of the Herdmans' participation in the Christmas play, the narrator and the church are re-enchanted with the Christmas story. They find delight in it again, or maybe they find delight in it for the first time. At least most of them. I'm not sure about Alice Wendelkin or her mother. It's amazing that people who have been exposed to this beautiful story their whole life can treat it as so common and rote. But isn't this something that we are all in danger of doing at some point in our lives? I think this is why we need stories like this to remind us. I still don't know how Barbara Robinson pulls off the ending, the ability to show us how easily it is to sink into apathy for the Christmas story, to have respect, but no delight, without it coming off as cliched or trite, but she does it. There are so many Christmas movies and books that try to convey the same spirit of this book, to believe in the magic of Christmas again. And as much as I love them, they all seem to fall flat compared to this story for me. Every year that I read this book, it seems to speak some truth through its humor, I think it's because it doesn't stop at being re-enchanted with Christmas after a bout of disillusionment. It also shows the miracle of Christ's birth, with that perfect mixture of wonder, mystery, and the ordinary, and the awe that comes with the realization of how incredible it was that God came and dwelt among us. The Herdmans, with all their flaws, to the amazement of everyone, including the reader, recognize this. May we all have a little bit of the Herdman's in us, so that we might see it too. Read this book to be delighted. Read it for the wit of the narrator and to laugh deep belly laughs. Read it for its heart, that somehow never manages to turn saccharine or sentimental, but in a gentle way nudges one towards repentance. Read it and have the merriest of Christmases. <laughs>